Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NBA, what's going down with the finals, and a little offseason news. We'll be talking about the NFL, a lot of news there. We'll be touching on USA Basketball and, their, and both teams' quest for gold. We'll touch on UFC 264, and we will have our best for last. Now, remember to follow the Twitter page and Instagram at JTimeSports. It is the Justin Time Sports Twitter and Instagram for a lot of breaking news. And when the podcast comes out, it will be posted on there. The link will be dropped there for Apple and Spotify. And remember, it is at JTimeSports. I repeat, the handle is at JTimeSports. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. We have an absolutely loaded show. Uh, we have NBA. We've got coaching moves. We've got the finals. We've got some offseason situations. We have NFL coverage. We have USA basketball and their Olympic quest for the men's and the women's team. We have obviously McGregor Poirier three. And we're going to have our best for last. But let's not delay any further. Let's jump right into the NBA finals. Which game five happens tomorrow night? It's going to be a huge game. It's a legacy defining game for one Mr. Chris Paul after his very disappointing performance in game four. Giannis Antetokounmpo had his worst game of the series uh, offensively in terms of total point production, I believe. The only thing lower than that was game one, which is coming off the hyperextended knee 96 hours before. Um, and so you look at Giannis, he didn't have his best day, but Chris Middleton came in with 40. His playoff career high, uh, that is the only time he's ever scored 40 in the playoffs, obviously. And he did it in the NBA Finals in the biggest games in Milwaukee since 1971 when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then Lou Alcindor, and Oscar Robinson brought home Milwaukee's only NBA title. So when you look at the game, it had game four, had a lot of turnovers in it. Uh, the Phoenix Suns had 17 turnovers. The Milwaukee Bucks had five. There were some questionable calls on both sides, namely the non-call Devin Booker clearly, basically intentionally fouling Drew Holiday on a layup attempt, which would have given Devin Booker his sixth foul with about two minutes left. Instead, the refs did not call it. They did not call another call a couple possessions later on Devin Booker. It seemed like the message was clear to keep Devin Booker in the ballgame. Now, 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 now. I'm not one of those people that sit here and say, oh my God, the refs were horrible. The refs cost us the game. Hey, Phoenix fans, I, I've been seeing it. I've been seeing it the past couple of days. Man, the refs were terrible. Uh-huh. Man, Giannis outshot us by himself as a team. Uh-huh. So... First of all, stop fouling Giannis and you won't have this problem. It's almost as if you have a clear way to do something and you have decided, Phoenix fans, to not do it. Giannis Antetokounmpo in the six games he's played you this season is nearly averaging 40 points. I wonder why. Because for some reason, you keep singling him. Uh, As Toronto... Ask Miami, ask anybody else who's had success against Giannis over the course of his career, especially in the playoffs. 
you get a primary ball you get a primary defender that's good at affecting the dribble and you behind that primary defender you build the wall in Miami it was Jimmy Butler at the point and then they built the wall Kawhi Leonard was there in Toronto Kawhi Leonard was on the ball affecting his dribble and then they built the wall I don't know what this bright idea of not building the wall comes from but they have decided to basically not do it and but they're doing different things defensively so what Milwaukee figured out shout out to coach Bud uh, coach Budenhoser he gets a lot of BS uh, for his um, lack of adjustments to be kindly they went to a 3-4 pick and roll so Middleton was the ball handler Giannis was the screener what happened was Phoenix reacted to this by deciding to basically double Giannis on the roll and go under the screen that way you keep somebody in front of Giannis and you have the big man basically drop under Giannis even further so you basically effectively put two people on one and dared Middleton to hit the shots good strategy if Middleton's off it's gonna work perfectly the problem was Middleton was on really on he scored 40 cancels out Devin Booker's 42 at a certain point, I find myself just saying he's, I mean, Booker was dribbling at three-point line. I find myself saying the words, oh, man, he's going Kobe. Because it looked like a Kobe dribble sequence, pull up in your face, knockdown shot. Um, come down the court, make a little move, cross over, free up a little space, knock down another long two. It felt very Kobe-esque from Devin Booker. And I find myself saying he's, he's going Kobe. I mean, and there was nothing you could do about it. When you when he's reached that point, when an elite scorer of that echelon gets to a point where it's like he's wearing blinders, when the only thing he can see on the court is himself and the rim, you are in a very bad spot because there's nothing anybody can do about it defensively. Um, he's gonna have to do that. Um, uh, another major adjustment that Coach Bud did um, was Drew Holiday on Chris Paul. Now we talked about Chris Paul last week about being absolutely in command. He was in command of the Clippers series. How did the Phoenix Suns ultimately end up dispatching of the Clippers? Chris Paul had the greatest game of his life in the NBA and dispatched the Clippers game six with that 40-piece special. Um, absolutely spectacular. And then you get game one of these, of this finals, and it's closeout Chris. He scores a bunch of points, no turnovers, maybe one. Have leads them in assists, obviously. Captains a tremendous offense. And then, you know, they take a big game one victory. Game two, he wasn't as great, but he played well. Game three, another good game from Chris, right? But remember that game three, game four, no game three, of the NBA Finals 2015. A lot of people credit game four four with the turning point obviously it makes sense it's the golden state warriors versus lebron one um and it is i have a credit that game four because they start on duke Dalla and they win games four five and six in actuality the credit for that series being turned around or rather the turning point of that series should be the fourth quarter of game three it was an accidental discovery what happened was cleveland was getting to the rim at will so Steve Kerr decides to put Andre Iguodala in the game to remove, I believe, Harrison Barnes. And the purpose of this was because Andre Iguodala is a little bit more of a savvy defender that he could help guard around the rim. You know, Golden State Warriors never had great centers. 
And so you needed your wings to take up the responsibility of basically playing interior defense. Well, Andre Iguodala had a pretty decent job defending LeBron. A lot better than Harrison Barnes. And Harrison Barnes wasn't making shots. So it wasn't like Harrison Barnes was scoring 15, 18 points a game in the finals. Iggy giving you six, but you take out, you basically count on Iggy to make it the 12, 14 point difference in point production. That wasn't the case. Harrison Barnes couldn't throw a brick in the ocean. And so you put Iggy in the game, it gives you a smart defender, a guy who's going to make about the same amount of shots. And if he's affecting LeBron James at all, it's a win. Because in that series, obviously Kyrie cracks the kneecap in game one. Kevin Love never makes it to the finals because he's already injured. And so LeBron won Manning with Matthew Dellavedova, J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson, Timothy Mozgov is, you know, up 2-1 against the Warriors. Well, they accidentally discovered Andre Iguodala. It could work. Now, Iggy didn't have amazing success. He did keep LeBron from breaking about seven finals records simultaneously, but he, that was a turning point because it made LeBron work for every single bucket after that. It was an accidental discovery. Coach Boonholzer, conveniently in game three, accidentally discovered Drew Holiday on Chris Paul. It wasn't, I don't believe Drew Holiday started on Chris Paul in game three. It was somewhere around halftime. It was a switch, and Holiday ended up on Chris, and Chris took a bad shot. And so now it is officially, wait, what was that? And so Drew kind of off and on guards Chris in the second half of game three, and it works. Chris Paul is affected. The offense of Phoenix is slowed down. And it works. And it's one of those accidental discovery things. The, the switching defense of the Bucks finally worked. Ended up with Chris Paul on the, uh, ended up with Drew Holiday rather, on Chris Paul. And so you discover a defensive strategy that you use to start game four. And Drew Holiday affects Chris Paul and he has his worst NBA Finals game to date. Uh, out of the 17 Phoenix Suns turnovers, Chris Paul had five. And... He was clearly bothered with the defensive intensity Drew Holiday was displaying. Remember in the Atlanta Hawks series with the Milwaukee Bucks? Remember Nate McMillan openly said, we have three primary ball handlers at all times. You know, we have Kevin Herter, Lou Will, Skylar Mays, Trey Young, etc. You know, four or five guys on the court, usually two or three at the same time, for the expressive purpose of having multiple ways to start an offense. When Nate McMillan openly said, we are just not even going to try to inbound the ball to whoever Drew walks up to. So Drew walks up to Trey Young, inbound goes to Lou Will. Drew walks up to Lou Will, inbound goes to Trey Young. If Drew's kind of hovering between Trey Young and Lou Will, get it to Herder, and then once Drew picks somebody, get it to the other one. I mean, it was insane the amount of respect that Nate McMillan, uh, congratulations to him, by the way, for getting his contract extension, for Nate McMillan to show to Drew Holiday. And so he flat out said, we're not going to inbound the ball near Drew. Well, the Phoenix Suns only have one real ball playmaker on the court at all times, considering Chris Paul and Cameron Payne rarely play together, even though they did in game four. The ball is going to Chris. And so Drew's picking him up 90 feet, 94 feet. Chris is doing his best just to not turn the ball over. So when you're thinking about not turning the ball over, you're not looking, obviously, at the best possible pass. You're not looking for your teammates to set up an offense. You're not looking down the court. You're not looking, you know, to get the offense into gear by 18, 19 seconds with play with any kind of real pace because you are deathly afraid that Drew Holiday's going to pluck your pocket. And so when you got Drew Holiday affecting the ball the way that he is, obviously it's disrupting the entire Phoenix Suns offense. Why? There's only one person on the team, really, that can go get his own shot. It's Devin Booker. It's the bright mamba. 
the rest of them are very Chris Paul dependent. Jay Crowder scored well in terms of total, but he didn't shoot well, especially from three. DeAndre Ayton, obviously being a traditional big man, he's going to need somebody to give him the ball. Mikael Bridges can score off the dribble, but prefer him not to. Um, and that's just, you know, the guys in the starting lineup. Cam Johnson's not really a shot creator for himself. Uh, it's really more of a put me in a good spot and I'll finish the play, not really make the play for myself kind of guy. And so when you look at those different levels, Chris Paul being affected by Drew Holiday is affecting the entire Phoenix Suns offense. And so it gave the Bucks the opportunity to win game four and to send it back to Phoenix in game five. The NBA Finals will be over by the time you come back to this podcast. Now, I originally predicted Suns in seven. I'm going to stick by that. I have no reason to not stick by that. Um, yes, there's a Giannis problem. But Middleton gives you two good games a year, a series. There, there's the first one. Now, whether the second one's in a game seven in Phoenix, who knows? But the first one so far was in game four. And you may be looking at another great blowout performance maybe in game six by Middleton. He, says he plays a lot better at home than on the road. The team does in general, but Middleton especially. And so I'm going to stick with Suns and Seven. Both teams have held serve at home. Both teams have looked pretty mundane on the road. Uh, Phoenix was up. Both Phoenix was up seven in game four, but it felt like Milwaukee was going to eventually run them down. You look at the box score, you look at turnovers and things like that. There was no reason Phoenix should have been in the lead to begin with. And so when Milwaukee walked them down and eventually got a pretty decent lead on them to end the game, it wasn't the least bit shocking to me. Uh, just saying certain things catch up to you. Offense to rebounding catches up to you. Turnovers catches up to you. Uh, Milwaukee dominated both of those categories. So it is not surprising that they were able to walk down the Phoenix Suns in game four, especially in, especially at home, especially in a five-star form, especially in front of the Deer District, uh, which reminds me so much of Jurassic Park for the Raptors. Um, absolutely spectacular environment and like I said it's not surprising Milwaukee was able to overcome that to chase down the Phoenix Suns so the big news in the finals right now it's obviously we're waiting on three of the players Devin Booker Chris Middleton Drew Holiday to join Team USA but but Chris Paul's contract is about the season ends reportedly he's opting out and he's going to look for a four-year contract worth very large dollars in the range of 130, 140. Um, is what he's going to be looking to appear to get. Now, if I'm Phoenix and he says four-year anything, I'm out. If I'm Phoenix and he says three years anything, I'm walking out. But I keep my phone in my pocket. Uh, two years is I prefer not to, but I'll do it. One year is ideal for Chris Paul. Uh, I do not subscribe to the thought that. Running it back is always a bad thing, you know. Uh, you wouldn't get dynasties if that was the case. However, Chris Paul's aging, and Drew Holiday is getting physical with him, making him exert energy, and he has not been a big fan of that. Chris Paul speaking, and so when you force him to deal with different things and different coverages, it forces him in turn to be more active and to try and figure out ways to affect the game in a positive light. But unfortunately for Chris Paul and unfortunately for the Phoenix Suns, that is hard to do considering that he is such a big part of their offense. And so when you look at it, he's aging. Uh, like I said, Drew's getting to him. His age may be starting to get to him just a little bit. I can't commit four years to him. I wouldn't commit three years to him. I would debate it at two. I would, uh, if, we, if we had to do three, if he said he wanted two fully guaranteed, I would have a team option for your three. 
Um, but other than that, um, and I, or if we do four years, I'd have the second year team option, which after the second year, the team can opt out of the contract. But if they opt into the contract, they opt into the last two years. If they opt out of the contract, obviously it's an unrestricted free agency. And so if you know Chris Paul demands four years, I'm gonna demand two plus two. And kind of with a second year team deal. If he's looking for a three year deal, I'd insist that third year be a team option. Two year deal, you can have it fully guaranteed. Don't worry about it. Um, but it, you have to be very careful if you're Phoenix of paying Chris Paul a lot of money. Yes, Devin Booker's already on his extension, but DeAndre Ayton's not. Mikael Bridges is not. Cam Johnson's turning into a player. He's not on his extension either. And so you commit three years big dollar to Chris Paul. Now you're running into all kind of luxury tax issues. And especially if you don't win the title this year, you probably won't win the title with this group. And so if I am Phoenix, I maybe add in the third year's reward for winning the title. But I would want two years definitively of guarantee money and then anything after that option for the team. Uh, that's just my opinion on the Chris Paul contract. That's what I would do. I would definitely not commit to doing a long-term deal with Chris Paul. It just doesn't seem financially wise at all. Now, just a couple of personnel news. There's a little bit of news going around. Uh, Dame Lillard uh, is has been reportedly, and I'm going to say reportedly, um, interested in requesting a trade. From the, uh, from the Portland Trailblazers. It's supposed to come within the next few days. Now, he spoke to Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, and he said that he would address the rumors of that report in a press conference today, uh, or after Team USA basketball practice today, rather. He would address the reported concern that he would request a trade in the next few days. I think he should get out. Now, it's been hinted at by Cowherd uh, Colin Cowherd, when after he spoke with Dame, that the next few days on the show, he mysteriously had where would Dame land topics. Um, he said he couldn't reveal any of the conversation, which obviously I respect him for. Um, but he conveniently had Damian Lillard trade where would he land topics. Um, and so I believe that Damian Lillard's finally reached his boiling point, whatever that may be. Um, and decided that it was best for him to move on. Every team in the or every team in the entire NBA needs to be calling Portland. Hey, what's up? Um, we're interested in Dame. What is it gonna take? Um, because he's a absolute franchise changer. You look at. The first round series versus the Denver Nuggets. If the Denver Nuggets had Jamal Murray, they're losing. This guy is an absolute monster of a player. And so if you can get an opportunity to get Damian Lillard, he scored 55 points in a playoff game and lost. Uh, CJ McCollum stepped out of bounds, cost him the ball, effectively cost him the game. Um... Everybody in the league should be calling for Dame. We're definitely going to be watching that one as it shakes out. Ben Simmons is also on the trade block. Reportedly, the Philadelphia 76ers have not only been listening to calls, they've been initiating and looking around on calls for the Ben Simmons trade. Now, if I'm Ben Simmons, I only want to go to a certain amount of teams. And if you are the 
Philadelphia 76ers, you don't have a ton of leverage. The reason why you don't have a ton of leverage is Ben Simmons has a very large contract. With this very large contract comes a very large amount of, leg of leverage. Now, Ben Simmons is 24 years old. He has multiple All-Stars. He has an All-NBA player on his resume. He does not have a ring, obviously. No MVP. Should have had a Defensive Player of the Year. That's neither here nor there. Um, and so, you look at Ben, and could he help a team? Absolutely. Could Ben Simmons right now help an organization? Every single one of them. The issue is we don't know what's going on with him and Embiid. We don't know how it started. We don't know why it still continues to persist today. Um, so that'll be interesting to hear. Obviously, once they part ways, someone's going to say something. And so you're just wondering if that kind of issues are going to persist on a new team. Uh, DeMar DeRozan is a key a key piece in possible moves now. We're hearing Lakers. Now we're hearing Sixers. Maybe in, in something for Ben Simmons. Uh, DeMar DeRozan is probably going to get traded for a good player in a sign-and-trade situation. He's a free agent. However, he wants to contend for championships. With no championship contender, can't straight up absorb his contract. And so, um, he's going to get, obviously, probably signed and traded for uh, somebody, somebody. So, if you look at, you look at Philly. That could be the perfect opportunity for DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid. Um, that could be a squad. You know, the Lakers are obviously interested in DeMar. So, a lot of big-time names are going to be on the move. Dame Lillard is possibly going to be on the move. We'll hear from him in a few hours. Ben Simmons is definitely going to be on the move, from what I can tell. And DeMar DeRozan will be leaving San Antonio either via straight-up free agency or a sign-and-trade situation due to salary cap. On the coaching front, the Orlando Magic have hired Jamal Mosley. Uh, he is coming from Dallas Mavericks. He was an assistant coach there. Wes Unsell Jr. is being hired by the Washington Wizards. He comes from Denver as the associate head coach. He is obviously the son of Wes Unsell Sr., who is a Washington Bullets legend and an NBA Hall of Famer. So it's almost like Wes is going home. And Willie Green will be hired by the New Orleans Pelicans after the conclusion of the NBA Finals, as obviously he's the assistant coach, or one of the assistant coaches rather, for the Phoenix Suns. So their deal is in place in principle. However, due to the fact that he currently works for another team and they're in the finals, the deal will not be official until after the finals is over. So that is all we have for the NBA today. And now we're going to switch to some NFL coverage and talk about what's going down with the Shield. and welcome back into the show and now we're gonna jump right into some nfl news obviously we're only a few weeks away from training camps when the news really starts pouring in about some of these starting battles obviously aaron Rodgers, jordan love james winston tassam hill cam newton mac jones trey lance jimmy garoppolo whoever the hell are starting for the houston texans um so we've got all of that coming up in just a few weeks but in the meantime, we have some news that we are going to talk about. Firstly, we're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers, the story that keeps on giving, the news that keeps on coming, and everybody's quarterback they hate to love, Aaron Rodgers, is not really even back at it. It's just more news surrounding him. 
And about his situation, obviously, is a question mark. In three weeks, will he show up to training camp? Will he be committed to playing for the Packers this season? Uh, AJ Hawk, longtime friend who was recently with him, stated that he did, he from day one stated that he didn't see Rodgers playing anywhere else but Green Bay in 2021. And he expressed that he still believes that way and he doesn't believe that Rodgers will make the team um, revoke his rights and things of that nature, that he will show up for work. Um, for the Green Bay Packers. And so that is absolutely spectacular to hear if you're a Packers fan. It's good to hear as a football fan, you know? It's it, it's football's better when the Packers are good. Um, you know, him going to Denver uh, doesn't do a whole lot for me personally. It does a whole lot for the Denver Broncos, but I'm not a Broncos fan. I'm actually a Patriots fan, so that puts him in my conference. It doesn't do a whole lot of good for me um, as a guy who, you know, likes the history of football and that nature. The Green Bay quarterback leaving to become the Broncos quarterback just doesn't doesn't sit right with me in general. But um, Aaron Rodgers going through a lot of different things. He is being unusually silent. Uh, usually doesn't say a lot in the offseason, but he's dodging every question about his pending uh, possible exit. Uh, I don't think he'll be back in 12 months. I think they're either going to move on from him before the season starts or move on right after the season. It, it just doesn't seem like it's going to fit for more than this year. Uh, especially between LaFleur and Rodgers. He pulls Rodgers off the field, kicks the field goal, they end up losing the game. Um, so, I mean, so many things have happened with Aaron Rodgers that how could you possibly predict what's going to happen next in the Packers-Rodgers uh, relationship? Next, we're going to go to a little bit of somber news or sad news, rather. Um, Richard Sherman was arrested um, and charged with burglary domestic violence. Now, he ended up being released on two counts of domestic battery, I believe, which is um, a lot less time of a prison sentence. It's not a felony. Um, Sorry, he faces... Two counts of domestic violence and five total misdemeanor charges, uh, specifically in Seattle. Uh, he just released a statement on Instagram a few minutes ago, stating that he's going to get the help that he needs, um, citing mental and emotional health, which seemed obvious in the video. I mean, I hope Richard Sherman does get the help that he needs. He was a very, 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 very um, good player, elite level corner in the debate. For most of his prime, um, for most of his prime in Seattle, on the left side of that cover three, uh, is, is he the best corner in football? Now, some dismissed it, saying he's his own corner. He's only playing one side of the field, etc. But he, he was definitely in discussion for one of the best defensive backs in football, especially during his prime. Uh, he played well in San Francisco. Didn't have a great Super Bowl, but it was a bad matchup with Tyreek Hill and his level of speed. Um, but Obviously, you see Richard Sherman, the player. You see Richard Sherman, the talent. We don't know Richard Sherman, the man. Um, and so he apparently was going through a lot of things. Of course, there's Instagram posts. A lot of things have been happening to him over the past few months. But he did said that was not an excuse for his actions and that he will uh, seek the help that he needs. So kudos to him for A, admitting it, B, taking the steps to go do it. Um, so kudos to Richard Sherman for that. And I hope he gets the help that he needs. I hope that family can heal um being it was his ex's um in-laws ex's parents on that house that he was trying to break in 
Dwayne Haskins in the news for being hit. And he's a quarterback, so normally that would fit. Um, but his wife, I believe she's his wife now, uh, knocked out one of his teeth. So that made the rounds around the internet, uh, shade room and places like that. But um, so she was charged and hit with a mugshot and all that stuff for literally knocking out one of Dwayne Haskins' teeth for hitting him in the mouth uh, for reasons unknown. They found the tooth on the floor, the gambling floor. You know, like she completely knocked it out of his mouth. Uh, again, not quite sure what it was over, but there's only so many ways a woman would knock an NFL player's teeth out. And then, you know, it's just, I'm not even hunky-dory, but it's kind of like he went to the police almost out of necessity, and there's no plans of divorce or anything like that. So it was something Dwayne Haskins did. Set off this young lady. She shouldn't have hit him. But, you know, hopefully they get what they need, their counseling and stuff together. Um, so let's, we're going to definitely keep an eye on that situation as much as we can. Uh, Tom Brady's making the news at the moment. He's making the news because he apparently played all of last season on a completely torn MCL. So he was down a ligament in his knee. He pretty much had an ACL, uh, 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 ACL and LCL um, and just the rest of the bone. He didn't have an MCL in his right knee. We're not sure what knee it is. It is the right knee. An MCL in his right knee, which is the plant leg. So incredibly, uh, yeah, incredibly impressive being that the plant leg is the leg you have to drive your power from. And he didn't have an MCL in this and he managed to play the whole season. Oh yeah, he won the freaking Super Bowl. Again, this time he did it with one leg. So put that in the Tom Brady annals of amazingness in the Tom Brady Hall of Fame in the wing that I'm sure he'll have by the time he finishes all of his accomplishments and all of his Super Bowls and all of his rings and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure they'll give him a wing. In the meantime, we can um, just continue to be regaled by the story of the fact that the 43-year-old quarterback won the Super Bowl in his first year with a new team on a completely torn MCL and his plant leg. So absolutely spectacular performance from Tom Brady all the way around as just another layer of difficulty to what he was already dealing with in Tampa Bay. Transition from a new team to a new style of coach, to a new style of offense. Um, everything was new. New division rivals, new people hate you. Um, again, everything was new. And so um, now you get to a situation where you are the king. You you won the Super Bowl. You're the runaway division favorite. You're the pretty good size conference favorite. I have you as one of the top two of the teams won the Super Bowl. And so, you know, now Tom Brady is going to be healthy. So we're going to definitely see how the Bucks perform this season. And New Orleans Saints, speaking of that division, defensive tackle David Anyamata has been suspended six games for violation of the league uh, PED policy. He spoke about it on social media beforehand. The suspension came out officially. Um, But he said he didn't willingly do anything and stuff like that. But, you know, it is what it is with the testing. And so he's a a first-time offender. So the most he can can spend in suspension is the six games as mandated by the CBA. And so uh, six games suspension, first-time PED user. Uh, second time, I believe. Second time is the season, and then the third time is a, uh, a ban. It's an indefinite ban. Um, so that is something obviously I'm sure he wants to avoid banishment. 
from the league. Uh, again, he said he didn't take it willingly or knowingly. So, I mean, that's what everyone says. But, hey, I got to give the kid the benefit of the doubt. He's been a solid player for the Saints, definitely a starting level player. And so we're going to see him week seven at the earliest for the New Orleans Saints because at this time, it doesn't look like he will try to appeal the decision. All right, so now let's play a little game or we're going to talk a little bit about rather not necessarily game. But we're going to do a little thing where we're going to pick the best coaching staffs in each division. And so, you know, we always look, man, we always try to find the little gem. Man, why does such and such work? Why did this team work when we didn't think they were that good? Or why did this team that looked really, really good on paper underachieve, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm willing to bet that the underachievers are high on my list and the underachievers are low on my list. Uh, because usually coaching in the NFL with talent is usually pretty close. Uh, coaching is the deciding factor. It's not like Alabama playing the Citadel where Bama's second string would beat them by 30 and the third string would win the game. It's two NFL teams playing each other. You know, so yeah, most NFL games in 27-24. And so obviously competition is going to be paramount at that level. And so let's just jump right into it. We're going to start in the AFC, in the AFC South. Remember, this is ranking the entire staff. So in the AFC South, I have in order Colts, Titans, Jags, Texans. If you told me right now I picked the division, I'd pick it Colts, Titans, Jags, Texans. Now, in that situation... The Colts probably have the better roster, too. So I'd have the Colts pretty convincingly in the division over the rest of them. In the AFC North, I have Steelers, Ravens, Browns, Bengals. Now, this is one that's going to contradict my preseason predictions. I have the Steelers being the fourth place team in the division uh, in regards to the AFC North. I have the um, Baltimore Ravens winning the division, if I'm saying it correctly. Cleveland being high. The Bengals are also going to be much better. I think they're going to be 7-4. You get to the AFC East with, and I have the Patriots, the Bills, the Dolphins, the Jets. Um, I would flip one and two. I would have had the Bills at one and the Patriots at two in terms of season predictions. But this was a pretty obvious coach uh, position thing. Rookie coaches, coaches who have never coached in the NFL before, are automatically last place on their staff rankings just because we don't know. Um, I had to include them, but it's one of those we don't know if Robert Sala can coach. We don't know if um, Brandon Staley of the Chargers can coach. We don't know if Urban Meyer's going to transition into the NFL properly. We don't know. And so to avoid that, I have them last unless it is two rookie coaches in the same division a la AFC South, and then it is a coin flip to decide, and not a coin flip, but then it is a pick your preference kind of thing to decide who's going to be third place. And lastly, the AFC West, I have the Chiefs, the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Chargers. Again, I believe Brandon Staley is going to be a little better than Vic Bangio, especially his roster will make him look that way. But as of now, I have no NFL proof of that. And so he's going to be last with the sand with the los angeles Chargers, rather in the nfc i have the saints the bucks the panthers and the falcons i would again the falcons are last due to the rookie coach and the bucks are second because i believe sean payton is a better coach than bruce arians in the north i have packers vikings 
Bears, Lions. That was how my division rankings will go. Packers, Vikings, Bears, Lions. So that's nothing too shocking there. Out East, I have the Washington football team, the, the New York Giants, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I would have this as order even if Nick Sirianna was in year 10. He is terrible at his job. Um, I'm not sure what his purpose is. It's not spectacularly great. And then I have the best division in football, the NFC West, with the 49ers, the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals. The only thing I knew for sure was that the Cardinals are going to go third due to the fact that they are dealing with Cliff Kingsbury. And so he's trying to adjust to the NFL. They're becoming men. So it is definitely something to continue to monitor uh, these division rankings. Now, you know, that could depend. If you lose a coordinator, like if Bruce Arians loses uh, Byron Leftwich, they may not be nearly as successful. Or if Bruce Arians loses Ty Bowles, they won't be nearly as successful. And so um, that's something where continuity is definitely going to help um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's something that I don't, I mean, you look at the divisions, they pretty much go how you want them to go. Just looking at it in general. Um, You've got the AFC South going pretty much how it wants to go. Like I said, the AFC North, better coaching uh, the roster. I don't think Mike Tom's going to be able to overcome it this time. You look at the Pats not having the best roster. That goes to the second best coach. So, of course, they're going to finish first in the division and stuff like that. So, you just, a lot of times, you know, as a football fan, where your team's going to fall. Look at your coach. Look at your roster. Put two and two together. You're probably going to finish somewhere around where one of those spots are. So, if you see a second-place roster and a fourth-place coach, you're probably going to finish somewhere around third. Uh, just being honest. And so that is something definitely keep our eyes on there. But up next, we're going to jump into USA basketball and talk about what's going down there. All righty, and we are back. And now let's talk about little USA basketball. So. Again, we didn't start off great in the exhibition round for the men's side. Obviously, we know that. Uh, started off 0-2 and then beat down Argentina to get our first win. And I'm thinking, all right, tide's turning. Let's get our act together. You know, we're going to figure this thing out. We're going to get ourselves right. And, of course, that doesn't happen, like, at all because COVID steps in. So, Bradley Beal is officially out of the uh, Olympics due to COVID. Uh, That has to be a positive test, but he gets COVID and he's out. And then uh, Jeremy Grant is in protocols out of an abundance of caution. His status at this time is that he will play in Tokyo. He just has not cleared protocols yet. Uh, Probably a close contact because Bradley Bill is positive. He's a close contact, etc. And so they have him in protocols as well. And then Kevin Love suffers an injury or he's not fully recovered from his calf injury during the season. So he pulls out. So we go from jubilation. Oh, USA basketball is back to, oh, my God, we only have six players currently in Vegas because three of them are still in the NBA finals with um, Devin Booker, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. And then two of them are out due to injury and COVID, Bradley Beal and Kevin Love. 
And so that leaves you with six or seven players in Vegas. Uh, Keldon Johnson, who's on the select team, uh, gets called up to participate in the um, on the men's team, on the men's senior team. So that's huge for him. And JaVale McGee, uh, this team was missing interior defense. And so JaVale McGee, rim runner, rim protector, definitely a guy who plays above the rim. He is now on the team as well. So that is a huge thing for Team USA to try and shore up some holes. And so it, it didn't solve the guard problem. So a lot of people began campaigning for Trey Young when Bradley Beal went out. The reason why is that the team seems to be missing one of those playmaking point guards. Look at some of the great USA teams we've had in recent memory. Or even look at some of our greatest teams. The Dream Team, you had Magic Johnson, John Stockton. 08, you had Chris Paul. Oh, you had Jason Kidd, actually. 2012, you had Chris Paul. I don't remember who the point guard was in 2016. Um, and then, of course, 2020 didn't happen because of COVID gets pushed a year. But you ultimately could have gotten Trey Young. Would have been a great pickup. He was ready. He's been campaigning on Twitter. Um, even saying, using the Isaiah Thomas gif. Uh, other meme when Isaiah Thomas talked about the dream team saying that he met the criteria to be selected and he wasn't uh, Trey Young is saying the same thing he, he used the gif um, on Twitter to talk about him not being put in the USA basketball and even after two people were kicked out due to injury and COVID he still doesn't make it so if I'm Trey Young I feel some kind of way uh, I would feel how Carl Anthony Towns felt young in his career um, Kat, the reason why we don't have bigs, one, is because Kyle Anthony Towns would be our guy, but he declared for the Bahamas. He's half Bahamas, he's half Bahamian, half American, and because he didn't have a spot early in his career on USA basketball, he wouldn't play for the Bahamas. Well, the Bahamas would have to release his rights in order for him to come play for the Americans. Um, and so considering that it hasn't ever been done in for the Americans, we've had naturalized players go overseas, uh, but we've never had guys who to start overseas for their teams, such as like calling it times for the Bahamas ever get naturalized basically back on the American team. And so that is something to watch out for. JaVale McGee would be a big help in the locker room. He'll be a big help in protecting the rim. So now Bam Adebayo, Draymond Green aren't your best two rim protectors. You've got JaVale McGee whose sole purpose in the NBA is to um, rim run and protect the rim. So that'll be huge for Team USA. Uh, happy for Greg Popovich, etc., and the rest of the squad for getting a guy. And happy for Keldon Johnson, a young two-way player who's going to be just going to be a massive experience for him. I remember how Andrew Davis shot out of a cannon in 2012 from being around that London team. Uh, so this is going to be huge for... Um, Keldon Johnson to be around some of these great, great players such as Kevin Durant, such as a Damian Lillard, uh, etc. So it's going to be huge for him to get that experience. Shout out to them. On the women's side, you know, their first time playing together was in the WNBA All-Star game in which they lost to the WNBA All-Stars. Um, I took nothing from that game. That was the first time they played a real game together. That was basically a debut of the jerseys and to get WNBA fans used to who's on the Team USA. Uh, they're actually playing right now in their first scrimmage. Um, from what I was told, they're playing right now in their first scrimmage. And so we're going to get a better look at them over the next couple of days. And then they're going to fly off to Tokyo with the men's team, obviously, and go try to defend both their goals um, right now. But 
USA Basketball is in a bit of a situation. So remember a few weeks ago, I talked about Neko Gumake and how it was BS, basically it was complete BS that she wasn't on the USA team. Well, so she's actually Nigerian. Both of her parents were born in Nigeria, if I remember saying it correctly. So she, Neka, Chene, her sister, and their third sister, whose name I believe is Erica. And if it's not Erica, I'm sincerely sorry for that ahead of time. Um, all apply to play for Nigeria because they're both their parents are Nigerian. So they've, you know, they have the right in the Olympic code to go play for their parents' country. Um, and so both the parents are Nigeria, Nigerian, they can play for Nigeria. So they apply. Erica was granted permission. She can go play. Chene was granted it kind of. And NECA was flat out denied. And the reason why NECA was flat out denied was she previously had played for the U.S. So the U.S. technically owned her Olympic rights. Now, the U.S. told her, we'll release your rights, but it's something that can't be undone. So next year is the World Championships for basketball, FIBA World Championships. NECA can't be on that team and represent the red, white, and blue because she would have gotten her... She would be Nigerian. She'd be in the eyes of the Olympic Committee. She's Nigerian. In the eyes of FIBA, she's Nigerian um, for her country of representation. And so um, the U.S. allow was going to let her walk free, basically. Um, and the Olympic people said, basically, don't waste your time. Uh, they're not going to prove it. So Chene and Necker are both appealing the um, suspension, or sp uh, appealing the ban, rather. And so hopefully they get a positive resolution for that. And we get to see Neko Gumake on the world stage. Unfortunately, not, ran, not wearing the red, white, and blue, but helping revitalize Nigerian basketball, similar to what Mike Brown and the men's team is doing for Nigeria. The Gumake sisters want to be the faces of the rebirth and the revitalization of basketball in Nigeria. But up next, we're going to shift to UFC 264 for a quick talk about what went down with Poirier McGregor 3. All righty, and welcome back into the show. And now we're going to jump, of course, right into UFC 264, the main event recap. Some great fights uh, went down in UFC 264. We had some knockouts in the heavyweight division. Uh, we had chugging out of a shoe. Um, we had a dominating female uh, victory. We had a couple great fights goes the distance. We had backflips. All, all kind of stuff went down in UFC 264. Uh, but it all culminated with McGregor Poirier 3, or at least it was supposed to until McGregor ankle breaks with about 10 seconds left in the first round. And it ends up being a doctor stoppage in between rounds, obviously, because McGregor's ankle was completely broken. Both bones um, right above the ankle are completely snapped um, in the fight. And so Dustin Poirier believed right after the fight that he checked a Connor kick and he heard it crack. And there is a video evidence of McGregor throwing that leg, throwing that kick, and Poirier pointing to the leg immediately like, yo, you just cracked your leg. Like, something's going on with your leg. And of course, Connor 
walk, you know, keep walking, comes fighting. I'm sure he's feeling the pain, but his adrenaline's through the roof. Um, and so that sort of thing is happening. His adrenaline is sky high, but Poirier is looking like, yo, I felt something crack. And he said it after the fight. He, he felt, he said, I felt when I checked the kick, I felt something as I heard the crack, felt the crack. Um, and I immediately tried to tell him like, yo, your leg is like cracked. You might want to not do this anymore. Um, but of course, Connor pushed on. They got into a little bit of exchange. Connor was getting his tail whipped on the ground. Poirier was mauling him. And then they got up and uh, they threw a couple of hands. They missed. And then when Connor stepped back almost to reset himself to go back in front of the shot of flurries, the leg buckles. Um, after the fight, there was some inappropriate things said by Connor. It's Connor. Um, he yelled, he thought Poirier's wife, uh, by Poirier in, in general said that you got a, you know, you, you, you didn't get a real victory. It's a doctor stoppage, etc. Um, McGregor now has a plate in the shin and a rod on the other bone. And then he was talking, he was driving on the golf cart. looks like around his neighborhood. Um, and he was saying how he actually suffered the injury that ultimately buckled in practice. Uh, he was like in sparring. He was leg kicking, practicing, and kicked knee without a shin pad on. He, he didn't wear shin pad in sparring. Uh, got his kick bone a couple of times, kicked kneecap a couple of times, and had stress fractures in the bone already. And so uh, he said, ask Dana White, ask the UFC, ask the UFC head doctor, ask anybody who examined his leg. He already had the stretch fractures and he considered pushing the fight back or flat out canceling it, deciding it against both and going at it with Poirier uh, UFC 264, which ended, unfortunately, how it ended. Very anticlimactic. There will be a fourth fight. Dana pretty much said it. Poirier said we're either going to fight on the sidewalk or in the cage. Connor keeps calling his victory illegitimate, so of course they're gonna have to go at it again. It'll have to be in a year, year and a half time. Give Connor time to heal the leg up. Now, McGregor has said that it's six weeks on crutches, and then they start to build the leg back. Um, I'm thinking it's gonna take anywhere from nine to 12 months to get it anywhere close to what it used to be. That's why I say 15 to 18 months from now, you'll see McGregor Poirier four. Unless Poirier holds the belt, in which case they won't do that. Um, they will instead um, have Connor fight somebody else, or you know, if Poirier holds the belt, I would still wrench the plans because they're not going to give Connor McGregor a title shot just to get back at Poirier. And so that'll be interesting to see how that development goes, but we will definitely keep our eye on that. But up next, we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be about Barry Sanders. Welcome back into the show. Uh, welcome in the best for last in the Just in Time Sports Podcast. Uh, where we're gonna, and in this week's best for last, we're going to talk about Barry Sanders. It's his birthday. His 51st birthday. Um, the first of the Detroit super talented players that just said, forget this, I'm out. Instead of suffering under the pains and struggles of the Detroit Lions, Barry Sanders retired early. Um, nine or ten seasons in, he said, F this, I'm out. Um, with his all of his faculties together, one of the few running backs of that era, him, Emmitt Smith, 
there's a couple others that played really long time. They played longer than a couple years to still walk normally, to still have all their faculties, etc. Uh, because they took punishment. Barry Sanders didn't because he was really elusive. And Miss Smith didn't because he knew how to fall, how to dodge, how to step out of bounds, etc. But Barry Sanders was and may be still by many considered the most elusive running back of all time. His video game like highlight tapes are hilarious at certain points. Where he'll get in the hole and the guy would stop moving and he would still juke him and make him fall. It was like the guy was planted. And then Bear would rock the weight one way. You take a step and he'd rock it back and it's over. He's by you. You're falling on your face. Um, absolute embarrassment from some of those highlight tapes. And he was doing this. He was at Oklahoma State. You know, he did it at Oklahoma State. Gets drafted by the Lions. Then he does it in Detroit. And so when you look at it that way, Barry Sanders, in my opinion, was a much better running back than Emmitt Smith. Emmitt Smith had a much better supporting cast around him. Michael Irvin, Troy Aikman, that offensive line. Uh, Barry Sanders, all of his highlights going to be in the backfield, dodging people. Um, so they, you know, were compared a lot, same time period overlapping. Um, so, of course, two best anythings are compared a lot. I believe, like I said, Barry's a better talent than Emmett. Like his highlight tape is silly at a certain point. But he is a great ambassador for the game. He talks about the Heisman House all the time. You see him on ESPN doing college football coverage, especially when Oklahoma and Oklahoma State play. Um, he was, like I said, the first of the Lions stars to just say, forget this, I'm out. Kevin Johnson, obviously, being the one after him. And so he, the further he gets away from the game, the less he's appreciated, unfortunately, because you look at it, he doesn't have a Super Bowl. He doesn't have the career achievements. He doesn't have any big playoff moments. He doesn't really, he has high season numbers, but he doesn't have great career numbers, stuff like that. So he's maybe getting a little bit unappreciated on the global, on the global football landscape, the further away his playing days go. And so I don't want that to happen, especially on his birthday. So happy birthday, Barry Sanders, uh, the most elusive back this league has ever seen. And the prototype for several guys after him, including Reggie Bush. But that is all we have for today. Uh, thank you guys for joining me on this Friday. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Remember, follow the show, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And definitely follow at JTime Sports for breaking news and coverage. Uh, we were all over the Kevin Love thing. We're all over the Bradley Bill thing. We're all over NFL news, uh, Richard Sherman, all that stuff. So definitely give a follow to that. Turn the post notifications on, especially on Twitter. Now, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.